Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans. Welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food reporter Claire Baller, filling in for Aaron Bookie. And today on the show, we have guest Shelly Wilfong, a wine educator and Texas wine specialist who's going to talk to us about the state of Texas wine. And later on, we're joined by two Dallas area bloggers who were taking over Instagram with their beautiful Asian cooking videos. That all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're glad to have you here for our show. We've started adding more detailed show notes of everything we talk about, and you can find those recaps online with a bunch of links at dallasnews.com food. We also want to hear more from you, so send us your questions and voice memos via our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking about Texas wine and Asian cooking, but now I'm going to kick off the show with my fellow food reporter, Sarah Blaskovich, and our Eat Drink DFW producer, Natalie Keo. Sarah, I saw you had a big weekend. I did. My husband and I moved this weekend, and we moved out of the first house we ever bought. And we're moving into a house that we've been building for what feels like my whole life, which is very exciting. And I was sort of bowled over by the emotion this weekend of moving out because I had so been looking forward to the moving in part of the new place. And it was really emotional to leave the place where my babies were born and walked and the place where my husband and I were newlyweds. And I will miss the kitchen that we redid and cooked in almost every single night. And so it got me thinking a lot about places and what they mean to people and how sentimental that can be, even when it sneaks up on you like it did on me. And so I want to share a quick story. And then I want to ask you guys a little bit. So when we moved into this house, it was totally vacant. And we bought ourselves a bottle of champagne and opened it. I don't even think we had glasses. So I think we like passed the bottle back and forth in an empty living room with no television and no furniture. And we set up those like, $5 camp chairs from (laughs) Academy and drank champagne and felt like it was the biggest day of our lives. And so as we were moving out, we bought that same bottle of champagne for our new homeowners and we left it in the fridge with just a little note saying that this was a place where we had created serious memories and we were happy for the family that they were going to build in this place that we built our family. That's sort of sitting heavy with me today, even though it's happy. It's also sad. So tell me, I want to hear about your kitchens and your homes. What are dishes that are really special to you that you make in these kitchens because they remind you of this house? Natalie, you're a new homeowner. Yeah. And like, you know, I was thinking about my home and then my mom's home, you know, the home that I grew up in with my my parents. And when I think about my parents' home, I always think of pho. My mom makes the best pho ever. Mm. She would start early in the morning and you could smell it going all the way up to the second floor. So I'd wake up to the smell of pho and 
I think about her bringing out this giant tray of condiments, so soy sauce, fish sauce, sugar, cut up limes, like fresh limes and herbs. And every time I think of pho or every time I think of my mom's home, I think of that, of her preparation, her dedication to just making the best bowl that we could ever eat that day. And then when I moved into my home, this is where I'm teaching myself to cook. I don't know if there's like a specific dish that I've really honed in on, but I remember teaching myself how to make a breakfast potato hash just in the kitchen. It took me two hours. My experimenting was just kind of okay, what can I cook? What am I capable of cooking? And so this potato hash with a new cast iron skillet, (laughs) it really took me so long to make, but I remember making it and the potatoes were definitely undercooked, but I ate the whole thing because I was so (laughs) proud of having made all of it. Yeah. And I think of this home and think of a potato hash and just all the stuff that I've been able to do so far. And it's been, it's been really fun. What about you, Claire? Well, I just hearing Sarah's story, I know I'm already anticipating the day, whenever that is, that I move out of the house that we live in now and and just think about already being so sad about it. Like this is the house, this is the kitchen where I am cooking for my my baby right now. He's 10 months old and learning how to eat and learning about all different kinds of foods and textures. And it's like you have those moments where you're in it and you're like, these are those moments that I'm going to look back on and and really think of so fondly. And um, it makes me sad to think about the day when I have to hand this place over to someone else for them to live in and create new memories in. But it's a special thing to be able to like connect a place and memories and food. Like that trifecta is such an incredible I didn't think much about our last moments in our kitchen until they're Mm. gone. So this week we were sort of flooded. You guys, I've got tears (laughs) in my eyes, like thinking about your stories and mine. You know, the last Christmas that we had there and... And I didn't think this was going to happen, that we had Christmas at our house. And we, Chase and I, cook for our family always on Christmas Day. And this last Christmas, we made, instead of doing a huge potluck, we decided we were going to make a huge pasta for everybody. And so we made like a Cajun cream sauce, tomato sauce pasta that was modeled after our favorite dish at our wedding. And at the time, it was really wonderful, but it wasn't extra special. It was just Christmas. You know, we were just had people over and thought, this is the way we want to entertain you in our home with our children. And that was the last time we did that there. So I know we will have so many wonderful dishes at our new house. And you guys, the kitchen is so much better. (laughs) It really is. It's bigger and there's an island and there's more places for people to sit. For anybody, you know, with memories or special moments in a kitchen, just, you know, I hope you're savoring those moments because I'm going to miss them in my old place. Well, Sarah, now that you um, have all of us crying, sitting here crying, <laughs> thank you for that. I, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. I'm not a crier. <laughs> Let's move on to dive bars. We're just going to go for a full 180 here. You just wrote a really cool story about this book on the 12 best dive bars in Texas. And you got to meet the author, Anthony Head at the Goat in East Dallas, which is a bar that made his short list. I, I wanted to um, ask you like, if he told you why the Goat made his list and what does one look for when they're looking for the best dive bars? Yes. So he looked at several dive bars in Dallas and there are arguably other dive bars I might have put in this book, but the goat certainly belongs in it. And one of the things he did for all the dive bars, which I think is like so delicious, is he only visited them in the afternoons. 
like before dark. So mm-hmm. he thinks an identifier of a dive bar is like a place where during the daylight, maybe even in the morning, people come and they drink and they sit and they talk. He's also interested in meeting the regulars. And so he visited the goat five times. He lives in San Marcos. So he visited five times and spent hours each time. And he said, you know, yeah, he drank a beer or two, but it really wasn't about going and drinking four or five beers. Um, the drinking is tangential to the place, which is a place of community and and a place of camaraderie. And when I met him for the interview, we met at the GOAT at 1 p.m. We each had a beer during the interview. My boss did know about this <laughs> during the time. <laughs> and uh, And we experienced the GOAT at the time of day when he says his best. And there were about a dozen people in the bar. All of them were regulars. And the owner knew every single one by name. And they all knew each other. And they were talking about politics. And they were solving the world's problems. And they were chatting about so-and-so's kids and mother and stepsister. And uh, it it feels like at 1 p.m. on a Tuesday, it just felt like such a place of home. And many of those people kind of consider this bar home. Another fun fact about the GOAT, it opens at 7 a.m. Wow. So they are serious about offering a place for people. And in fact, people stroll in that door at 7 a.m. Because I asked, like, is 7 a.m. the time when, like, I don't know, you vacuum the floors <laughs> and you Windex the – and no, all the cleaning is done in the off hours between 2 and 7 a.m. Oh, so they're, like, ready to go at 7. And it opens at 7 they are ready to go and they're serving beers and they're, you know, they're turning on the TVs and they're chatting with people. So I love a dive bar so much. Uh, Lakewood Landing in Dallas is probably my favorite dive bar. It is so shitty, y'all. <laughs> you know, the the seats are not excellent and they're not supposed to be. Um, the, the bar can take a little while and that's just fine because you end up meeting a stranger next to you who becomes your best friend. So we had a lot of other good bars to choose from, but he chose just one dive bar for this book in 12 cities and Dallas's was the goat. So I want to ask both of you, what is your like dive bar identifier? What, what, when you walk in a bar says like, this is a dive. I, I think that like a necessity for a dive bar is absolute darkness when you walk in. Like you shouldn't be able to see anything when you walk in. It should take yeah. you like five to 10 minutes to actually like see what's in front of your face when you walk into a dive bar. That's a necessity. I also think that it should be the kind of place where you would be terrified if you saw it with all the lights on. Like you 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 shouldn't <laughs> want to see it. And all what does this place <laughs> yeah. look like? You in- don't you don't want to see that full picture. So my dive bar must is carpet. Like carpet somewhere oh, in no. the bar to me says, we could have made this easier on ourselves <laughs> and on the smell of the, this place long term. But we've chosen that if you spill your Miller Lite or throw up, that we're just going to do our best to clean the carpet. And it's it's going to smell like that forever. Jeez. Um, and so – and I kind of seek out dive bars when we go traveling too. So – I, I walk into a bar with carpet and I'm like, we're staying here for at least two beers. And it is beers and they are out of glass bottles. Stick around because coming up, we've got a discussion about Texas wine right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. 
Food editor Aaron Bookie recently sat down with Shelley Wilfong of the This Is Texas Wine podcast to talk about new Texas wineries to visit and new wines to try. Here's more. We have a wonderful guest on the show for you today, Shelley Wilfong of This Is Texas Wine podcast, which dives into everything about the wine industry in the Lone Star State, from industry trends and legislative developments to wine recommendations. Shelley is a longtime wine educator and writer with multiple wine industry certifications, who also founded the Dallas Women's Wine Club in 2019. Hi, Shelley. Welcome to the show. Hi, Erin. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to talk about Texas wine with you. It's really a fascinating topic and it's grown so much over the years. And I'm glad to see the industry and consumers finally, you know, taking it seriously and giving it the attention it deserves. How would you kind of characterize the state of Texas wine right now and how has it evolved to this point? Well, there is a lot of buzz around Texas wine right now. And I love that, of course, because it's my favorite topic to talk about. Texas has actually been growing grapes since the 1650s, believe it or not. So although it's considered an emerging wine region, there's been um, grapevine here for a very long time, even longer than California. But I especially want to draw attention to the beginning of the modern wine industry, which happened in the 70s in Texas. So that's kind of when things started really getting going. And some of the families that were the pioneering families to develop the Texas wine industry are still in the business today. So wineries like Messina Hoff that started in the Bryan area, they started growing grapes in the 70s. So did the Allers, Ed and Susan Aller of Fall Creek Vineyards in the Hill Country And then also out in West Texas, which is a very important region in Texas wine that we should talk about, Doc McPherson and another professor at Texas Tech University started growing grapevines and realized, wow, this actually works out here. Let's do a lot of it. And they founded Yano Estacado Winery, which is still around today. Although Doc McPherson's son, Kim McPherson, has his own label now called McPherson Cellars. That is a common one that you'll see around town. So there is a lot going on in Texas wine. Texas is actually the number five wine producing state in the nation. And there are over 500 wineries in Texas. And that number is just growing by leaps and bounds. What makes Texas kind of a great place to grow grapes? Well, the whole key to finding the right grapes to grow is finding the right growing environment. So there are about 80% of the wine grapes that are grown in the state of Texas are grown out toward Lubbock in an area called the Texas High Plains. Mm-hmm. It's an American viticultural area that you may see on a wine label. And what's special about that region in particular is that it is at high elevation. The vineyards out there are planted at about 3,500 to 4,000 feet in elevation. And so that keeps the grapes cooling off at night so the grapes can recover from the sun. It's a special growing region, and a lot of wineries all across Texas do get their grapes from the Texas High Plains. But there are grapes growing from the Texoma region north of Dallas-Fort Worth all the way down to the Galveston area and from west to east as well. So there are grapes all over this great state. There are actually about 6,000 acres of grapevines. And finding the right variety to plant is really the key. So down along the coast where you may have more disease pressures, you will want to plant something like Blanc de Bois, which is a hybrid grape variety that can withstand the disease pressures. Out in the high plains, you can pretty much grow anything out there. What are some common misconceptions about Texas wine? Yeah, it's interesting. People think that the hill country must be the heart of the growing region in Texas. Right. But in fact, that is the High Plains by Lubbock, although there are a lot of vineyards in the Hill Country as well, and they're producing great wines with Hill Country fruit. People think that Texas is too hot for growing grapes, but there are warm climate 
grape-growing regions all around the world, from Italy to France to Spain. Texas is actually bigger than the entire country of France. And as you know, there are many different wine-growing regions and many areas that specialize in certain grape varieties in France. And Texas also has a lot of very varied terroir, if you will, for growing grapes. Also, people think that Texas maybe only makes sweet wine. And that may have been the case early in Texas wine industry, but that's certainly not the case now. Usually, if you're a sweet wine drinker, you can find an option at any given Texas winery. But there are even more dry wines made in Texas. Sometimes people think that Texas wine quality is lacking in some way, but we're finding out over and over again that Texas wines are competing on an international scale through wine competitions, through blind tasting, and Texas just has a level of professionalism in the wine industry right now, more so than ever before. You know, as the industry grows in Texas, are you seeing more experimentation, you know, with sort of the trendier natural wines, anything like that? There are some natural wine producers in Texas, and there are a lot of people kind of pushing the envelope in a lot of different ways. It's a period of great experimentation in Texas wine. So you can find everything from traditional method sparkling wines to wines that we call pet nat, which are sparkling, but in a, an ancient method that makes the wine a little cloudy and murky. And it's usually bottled with a crown cap. Red wines, white wines, orange wines, you name it, it's probably being made in Texas. And um, there are some specific wineries that are doing more natural wines in style. There are also all different kinds of alternative packaging like wine in cans, which is always fun. What are some of your favorite winery road trips close to DFW? The great news is there are a lot of places where you can visit wineries without even leaving the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So I want to mention a couple of those first. Rancho Loma Vineyards has a tasting room in Fort Worth that is such a cool spot. It's in a great little neighborhood, a hip neighborhood called Near Southside. So that would be a place you would want to check out. Another is also on that side of the Metroplex, and it's Lost Oak Winery in Burleson. And the founder of Lost Oak is Gene Estes, and he has done so much for the Texas wine industry. And now his daughter, Roxanne, is running things over there. They do a lot of fun events, and it's a great place to check out Texas wine. If you want to go north, you should check out Eden Hill Winery in Salina, and you, you really wouldn't believe the awards that they're winning at Eden Hill. They just won four double gold medals at the San Francisco International Wine Competition this year. So they're doing a lot right. They have an estate Tempranillo vineyard that makes some beautiful wines. And definitely check that out. They also have a tasting room at the Dallas Farmer's Market. So you can taste them in Salina or down at the Farmer's Market. And then... You should also check out Hidden Hanger Vineyard and Winery in Denison. This is an estate winery. So what that means is that the wines they make are from the grapes that they grow on their own property. And they're doing some cool things there in Denison. So if you want to go a bit further out, I'm going to send you to my hometown of Waco, Texas. And right outside of Waco is a little tiny town called Valley Mills. And you should visit the Valley Mills Vineyards. It's lovely. And they have a winery that's a gravity flow winery, which means that they don't actually have to use pumps to move the wine. They let gravity move the wine. So oh, wow. it's a cool wine tour. Um, and you should check out what they're doing there. I know you work with the State Fair a lot. How else can wine lovers learn more about Texas wine there? The State Fair is a huge supporter of Texas wine and Texas agriculture in general. 
And one thing that is going to be exciting about the 2022 State Fair is that in the Texas Wine Garden, you are going to be able to sample all kinds of different Texas wines that I'm selecting for the fair. And so, you know, they're going to be good. Um, Yeah, there will be uh, red wine, white wine, sweet wine, dry wine, sparkling wine, you name it. And you don't have to buy a full glass. They're doing sampling there. So you could set up a little flight and decide what you like. I'm picking wines that may not be the wines that you see on every wine list, some things that they're getting directly from smaller wineries that are a little hard to find. So I'm excited for people to check it out and maybe try a variety that you didn't even know existed, and it may be your favorite. I mean, people come to Texas wine, and so often they're used to drinking California wine or wine right. from somewhere else in the world. And so they're looking for, you know, a Chardonnay and a Cabernet Sauvignon. And although Texas makes some great Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay, there are many other varieties that may not be as familiar, but that do beautifully here, like Tanat or Morvedra. And I think they're all worth giving a try. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Shelley, for being on the show. I have such a big to-do list now. Coming up in our next segment, Erin talks with the bloggers behind two plaid aprons about their favorite Asian dishes and the best way to cook tofu. That's right after this. Hey listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that thankfully includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Eat, Drink, DFW. We have a wonderful couple on the show today to talk about Asian recipes and cooking tips, plus Instagram tricks and lots more. May and Kyung are the brains behind the super successful food blog Two Plaid Aprons, where they show you how to make dishes like bibimbap, onigiri, and Korean corn dogs, plus lots of baked goods and yummy desserts. And lucky for us, they are based right here in North Texas. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having us. Hey, how's it going? Well, I just love your your Instagram and your blog and you guys are really super busy like doing all of your recipes and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started Two Plaid Aprons and kind of what your goals are for the recipes and how you present them? The blog itself started as a hobby because we have a lot of friends and family that asks us for recipes and back in the days we thought our photos were bomb but looking back we cringe every time we see it so it's a little progress. Our goals for them are to inspire our audience, of course, to want to cook and enjoy and have fun in the kitchen. And our recipes, we write it in detail so that even amateur and beginning cooks are comfortable cooking the dishes at home. And you should be able to seize with on the first try without fail. So that is our goal for our recipes. Okay. And so what cuisines are you guys the most familiar with? Uh, for me, it's Korean, but I know for me, it's probably Chinese. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. me, it's Chinese, especially Chinese American cuisine. That's why we're really happy to have moved to Dallas because it's exposing me to a lot a larger variety of my culture that I previously are, is not as familiar with. So that's a bonus for me. I know you guys have culinary backgrounds. And so where have you worked? What kitchens have you worked in? And how is running Two Plaid Aprons different from your past restaurant jobs? We went to four years at John Fultz in Thibodeau. 
John Falls Corner School. For working-wise, my first job was a butcher at a grocery store. I was a butcher in Smokehouse. Then I started working in a catering job, and then I started going around working in the area locally. Then I went to go work in Oklahoma for an internship at a country club over there with a CMC, which is a certified master chef. And then after that, I went to New York to go work for over the summer to go work at Cafe Blue, which is, I think, I think they're one Michelin restaurant. We both were selected to go to Paul Bocuse in Lyon, France with the select people. And it was pretty cool to get to learn some classic French cuisine. And now we came back, worked at a couple of just, I would say, upscale, casual restaurants. And now we're in DFW. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, my resume is not as impressive as Kyung's. <laughs> we attended college together at Chef John Fos Culinary Institute. And then interned in uh, France at uh, Institute Paul Bocuse. And then for me personally, I've worked mostly at bakeries and a couple of country clubs because my focus is in pastries and baked goods and stuff like that. That's so cool. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of the the baked goods on the blog, and I'm like, I think that's May. I think she's the <laughs> she's got all of the the yummy desserts and things like that. And so, what are some fan favorite? dishes of yours from the blog definitely for our korean side of the menu people love our korean cream cheese garlic bread it was um very popular especially last year it was super popular bimbap is always a fan favorite and then for chinese all of our audience love our chinese takeout series like any of the chinese takeout dishes are very popular and Recently, we did a mango series of like desserts and drinks and just mango everything. And our fans really love that. That sounds amazing. I love a whole mango series. That's yeah, brilliant. Mangoes were <laughs> fabulous this, this season. It was really good. You know, so in North Texas, there's quite a diversity of Asian cuisine, which is one thing I love about here. Are there any types of Asian cuisines that you wish we had more of? Um, North Dallas has a lot of Chinese cuisine focused in Szechuan session style cuisines. I wish that there's more variety of other cuisines from other provinces of China. I know it's a bit harder to find because is the flavor is more subtle and I guess less popular. But um so wish cool. that there's like more other provinces because China is so big the flavors of each region is different and the style of food they offer is different. And then we do wish that there's more Southeast Asian cuisines as well like Singapore, Filipino. We found a, a few very good Filipino restaurants, but wish that there are more varieties as well. I do want to add another shop that we really like to go to, or a couple ones. So for grocery stores, we really like going to Mitsua for Japanese and uh, products and very fresh produce, Japanese sashimi, good quality fish. Uh, 99 Ranch is a great place for Chinese ingredients. And then we have H-Mart, of course, that's a cult favorite for anything Korean and just Asian in general. And then right. last we recently discovered this um, shopping center in Richardson. I think it's called Z-Tao. And it's, um, I guess, Taiwanese-style Asian market produce here. And products are all very fresh. So we love it a lot. But what's the best thing is next door to it, there's a very nice quaint cafe called like a hole Hossan. in the wall. It's like a hole in the wall. Some, if you don't look closely, you might actually miss it. But it's a very quaint cafe. And the thing is, Korean-style cafe... Mm-hmm. Uh, with very beautiful drinks, very tasty drinks, and the food there are amazing as well. Well, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being on. I love chatting with you, and best of luck to you on all of your cooking adventures. Thank you, well, Aaron. Thank you, so much, thank you for Aaron. having us. 
And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining. And also, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're eating, drinking, trying, and loving. We want your questions too. Fill out our form at dallasnews.com slash food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. This show is produced by Natalie Kiyomonkun. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Claire Baller. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.